0: In the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Well, I guess
1: on this episode of the Paracast, we probably will not discuss the bloody Roswell slides, or maybe a little bit. But the one thing I do want to mention is that it seems like one of the first times in UFO history, at least in recent years, where people of different persuasions got together to explore that thing being the Roswell Slides research group where you had out and out skeptics, debunkers like Lance Moody and people who were in the middle of the road and people who you'd consider believers all getting together, all pitting their resources and coming out with a useful result. And is this possibly Chris O'Brien a way to make some progress in this toxic field?
2: (laughs) I suppose. I mean, stranger uh, things have happened. Sometimes these controversies uh, do create strange bedfellows, as they would say. But uh, I think it'll be back to business as usual, and we'll see the usual sniping and conflicts between uh, opposing camps here. But I guess it's a good thing when People come together to, you know, at least drill down on the truth and try to get the real story. As in the case of this latest fiasco, I'm just so tired of <laughs> of hearing about it. The revelation by, I, I think, some journalist in Mexico that that they had uh, over two and a half million people sign up for the streaming. I have a hard time believing that, that figure, but if it's true and if they did have between 6,500 and 7,000 people... Uh, at the live event, you're talking in the neighborhood of $40, $50 million. And if that's the case, criminal charges should be filed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know if there's any way to really ascertain or to have them reveal the number of, of live streaming clients. But it, it just boggles my mind that they could you know, be so cavalier and get away with it. We haven't heard a word from this Adam Dew character. Which um, I think, I think we need to get some sort of statement from him. Tom Carey is still sticking to his guns, but I think, uh, by and large, uh, this was a big learning lesson. I think uh, for everyone that you can't accept anything at face value. It's well,
1: just... the one thing about Carey is he did issue an apology, but then there was a report that he only did that apology what on the advice of his lawyer or something. Oh, I didn't hear that. Hmm. Well, I know the apology was run in our forums and it was published. It seemed to be the kind of apology you'd expect that he understands this was the remains, the mummified remains of a two-year-old boy. We understand that. Now, I just was running my calculator on my iPhone as I was talking to you. And the pay-per-view, the streaming, it was either $15 if you got it, Early, or $20 if you ordered it, I guess, on the day of. I forget the conditions. But let's just say the average price was $15. If 1 million people watched it, that's $15 million. Okay? what 1 million. Now, you add that to the gate receipts. 6,500, 7,000 people paying from $20 to $85 as translated in Mexican pesos. And as you say, it is a multimillion-dollar fare. Now, I asked a lawyer about this, whether there's some criminal possibilities here, whether you could sue. And he said, the issue here, the main issue here is, did the people who participated, and not just Jaime Musson, Adam Dew, Tom Carey, Don Schmidt, were they aware that this was a hoax or was fake, that it wasn't what they thought it was going in? You can't prove fraud based on being mistaken, I don't think. But if they knew it was a fraud going into it, then maybe there's something there. But doing it in Mexico creates other complications. Number one, if you want to sue them, you have to go to Mexico. You can't sue them, you know, in Washington, D.C. Maybe that's one thing there. By putting it in Mexico, it made it difficult or impossible for people in the U.S. and other parts of the world to go after them if the thing came falling apart. But the other question I have is, what were they thinking? And the reason I ask this is, they had to know, or at least one or two of the people involved had to know, that once high-resolution slides got out, it would be a matter of hours or days before it was exposed. How could they not know that? Hmm.
2: Well... I don't know. It just—it just really is another nail in the coffin, as far as I'm concerned. You know, some people have been saying that this this may even taint the Roswell case uh, to the point where it's it's all the major work that's gone down the last thirty years is is going to go down the drain. I don't think that's the case. I think Roswell will always be Roswell. Uh, some people have said that between the alien autopsy fiasco in the mid '90s and and this particular. <laughs> saga that between the two the two uh, hoaxes, uh, if you if you want to go that route, uh, that they may may have tainted the case forever. I again, I don't really think so. I think it's uh, I think it's it's just it's tainted the field of ufology, and it, it, there's got to be some sort of litmus test for for these types of uh, events and in claims. It, it, there's just there's got to be a way that we can nip these types of scenarios at the bud before they even begin. I'm scratching my head trying to figure out a way to do that, but it just makes me more and more reluctant to be associated with the field of ufology. And I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm just so, you know, so down on, on, you know, so much uh, that goes on in this field. And, and we sound like broken records. I know about this, but, it, it's just really sad that, um, a lot of people who are hardworking, honest, are really attempting to do the work, uh, in a proper fashion are being overshadowed by PT Barnum scenarios like this. And, and it's, it's, it's just, it's like a, a salmon struggling upstream. I, it's just, it's very difficult to make any headway with the scientific community with, um, you know, the fence sitters and the naysayers and the people that, uh, they just ignore the whole whole field because because of toxic events like this, and, and it's it just there's there's just no way that we're going to gain any kind of respectability and any kind of of quality attention. I think from academia and the scientific community, uh, if, if things like this continue, it, it's just. It, it it does so much more harm than good. <laughs> it does, you know, maybe certain people's pockets. It does it does them good, but but everybody else is just kind of left, uh, you know, twisting in the wind, and that's that's really sad. i I, I just it makes me more and more re- reluctant and reticent to get to get, you know, involved in this field publicly. Um, more so than I am, I, I really. I just, you know, I chastise people when they say, you call me a ufologist or introduce me as a ufologist. It's It's just an embarrassing term to me now.
1: I'm hoping here that maybe the people who work with the Roswell Slides Research Group will follow my suggestion and create a UFO truth squad and go out there and, when necessary, disassemble the fakes or at least check things out that are questionable or things out that might have potential, and do a little research so we don't end up with something like this. Take it seriously. And the other thing is, this thing should have been open-sourced from the day one. As soon as we have the NDAs and all that, we knew something had to be wrong. What isn't wrong is that we have a second radio show we do called After the Powercast, available exclusively to subscribers of the Powercast Plus, real simple to get it, you subscribe at plus.theparacast.com, p l u s .theparacast.com. Simple sign up, not expensive, five bucks a month. they are annual and five year programs. We send you a copy of Chris O'Brien's "Stalking the Tricksters" ebook version if you subscribe for a year or more. Coming up on this week's episode of the Paracast, we have the one, the only Mister UFO. Tim Beckley, and I've known Tim probably longer than I've known almost everyone or anyone other than the late Jim Mosley. So there we go. Tim Beckley coming next. You're in
2: the Bearcast. The BearCast.
4: expert in nutrition, diet, weight loss, immune system, and I specialize in chiropractic. My 15 years of professional experience has taught me the four keys to vibrant health, a balanced muscular skeletal system, an integrated nervous system, a flowing lymphatic system, and a body filled with over 90 essential nutrients. This has been A Secret Too Long. Actualize your potential, reverse disease. Call me, Dr. Z. Two zero one nine four five one one seven seven two zero one nine four five one one seven seven
3: 945 Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. 2237 extension 129
5: Hi, Coast to Coast listeners. I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of George Norrie because his topics and guests are fascinating and really get you thinking. George is just as bothered as I am by all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to prevent disease, not compound it. My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity, which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond OsteoFX, which together are called the Healthy Start Pack. I recommend you go online to criticalhealthnews.com to purchase these products. That's criticalhealthnews.com or call 855-949-RADIO.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: You know, I can't tell you how many years I've known Tim Beckley. We got together when we were teenagers as friends, not friends. We had a lot of fun. I've known him now probably for 52 years. Ugh. Wow. That's almost as long as Chris O'Brien has been alive. Yeah, it makes me oh. feel like a
2: whippersnapper.
1: Well, we're going oh. to snap that whip, Chris, so you watch
4: out. <laughs> How did we meet, Tim? Jesus, you expect me to remember that, Gene? Well, probably at one of uh, Jim Mosley's uh, UFO meetings, I, I would imagine. Uh, you know, he had them every, uh, a couple of weeks at, uh, one of those, uh, seedy, uh, Times Square, uh, hotels where you could rent a banquet room in those days for, uh, $25. And, and I'm, I'm sure we buy, I saw Gray Barker, Ivan T. Sanderson, uh, you know, admission in those days, I think was 50 cents. But if you knew Jim, I mean, you could even get by then, you know, and, uh, without paying the the 75 cents. We probably met then and then of course we exchanged uh, uh, newsletters. We exchanged zines. You had was it UFO report or something? UFO reporter, right. This
1: was yeah. before I sold off my few subscribers to Jim Mosley
4: at saucer well, news. Well, I did the same thing. I had the Interplanetary News Service report and I had 1500 subscribers. I had as many subscribers as APRO had members, actually. You know, in those days, of course, there was no quick copy places. You had to pretty much print and collate and staple yourself. I had a, a, a Gestetner mimeograph machine. Everybody else had a, a, a Sears and Roebuck machine that went for a hundred dollars or so. Mine was a little bit more expensive. And in fact, uh, Jerry Clark cut the stencils for the first couple of issues of the uh, of the newsletter, although I don't guess he would probably want to admit that uh, today. But uh, uh, be that as it may, uh, we exchanged uh, magazines for quite a while. I I think we put out about maybe uh, 15 issues before uh, Jim took it over. And maybe you put out that many or, or even more. Yours, I think, was a little bit more polished than mine. Wasn't yours offset?
1: Well, I met somebody at a science fiction convention I forget his name, except he later became famous for sponsoring Star Trek conventions. Uh At that time, he was a printer, and he did me a favor, as a result of which I got the printing done for far lower than I'd pay otherwise. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done it. And I did have the mimeograph machine. I do not remember what brand it was. It was something sold in a mail order catalog. Yeah. uh And I don't remember what it was, what happened to it, or anything else, but... Cutting stencils was absolutely totally a chore, and the reason it was a chore is because you had to. I guess there were ways to correct mistakes on it.
4: Yes. Uh huh.
1: But you had to basically type on this crazy sheet, and that right. sheet was used for mimeographing.
4: Right, and it you couldn't have fancy type, graphics right? it, or it, anything. It, it, yeah. Well, you know, they did get to the point actually where they had electronic. Stencils, where for $7 you could get at least the newspaper clipping, uh, you know, reproduced uh, fairly uh, well. And of course, it was messy. My, my mother threw me out of the house. Uh, if it were a crime scene, my fingerprints would have been all over the wall, you know, it, it was very messy. So I was vanquished to the, uh, to the back porch, where, of course, in the wintertime it was freezing because there was no heat. But we managed, we managed to get the word out just as we continue to do today.
1: That was very interesting, though, the things we had to do to be a publisher. Now, in Jim's case, he did what I later did, which he took a typewriter. He bought this electric typewriter for Saucer News, and he typed everything twice because he had to have justified columns that line up on both sides. Right. And you think that's nothing in traditional printing or desktop publishing. But remember, this was before we had word processing. And even then, Jim, for the rest of his life, Always bought the same kinds of typewriters, Smith-Corona. He never even bought an IBM Selectric, and he never bought a personal computer.
4: That is true. And I don't believe he had an answering machine.
1: That's correct.
4: And or a tape recorder. There is an interesting
1: story about that. Okay. Now, we all remember one of the pioneer early UFO groups, it was NICAP, National Investigations Committee mm-hmm. on Aerial Phenomena. This was the one that was headed by Major Kehoe. Now, his office manager in the 60s was Richard Hall, who became fairly prominent in the UFO field. But he was kind of a prickly sort. And so, on this one occasion, Jim Mosley calls him up, trying to be nice. And Hall says to Jim, Are you taping this? And Jim says... I don't even own a tape recorder. No, I'm not. And then the words became more incensed. And some of those words became ones that we cannot use on family radio. Prohibited by our network. And therefore, soon they hung up the phone on each other. They couldn't stand each other. And that formed this, what do we call it? This dispute between them, this feud... And that feud became so bad that one time I went to NICAP headquarters after having a very pleasant conversation with Donald Kehoe at his home in Luray, Virginia. I went to Washington, D.C., to the headquarters of NICAP with people you've heard on the show, Alan Greenfield, Rick Hilberg, some others. And as soon as he saw me, knowing I was working with Jim Mosley, he said, Richard Hall, you're not welcome here. And then we had this movement. You might remember this. Yes, yes. Hall must fall. (laughs) Remember that? Where I don't know who invented that term, whether it was Jim or it was me. Hall must fall. He needs to be drummed out of NICAP because he's hurting the organization's credibility.
4: Well, the the organization had somewhat of a credibility problem to begin with. In fact, if you go back and you check the board of directors, you will find that uh, a lot of the people there had backgrounds, uh, military backgrounds, and especially CIA backgrounds. Now, there are some people who uh, would uh, claim that the uh, organization was actually being uh, managed by the uh, agency. And and I think there is something to that. Now, my uh, beliefs have changed somewhat over the years, you know, because back when we were kids, pretty much what was your uh, – uh, your possible origins for UFOs, I mean, the solutions for this. Of course, the interplanetary uh, disk idea was uh, the most frequent, uh, frequently uh, touted as, as being the, uh, the origin, the true origin of UFOs. They had to be coming here from some other planet or some other uh, the solar system or some other star system, right?
1: It's interesting how things have turned around. People start in the UFO field these days or whatever we call the interest in UFOs, and they go back to spaceships, whereas... We young whippersnappers, and we were really young in those years, went the other way and went into 4D explanations and more complicated things like ultra-terrestrials. I mean, it was really different. We kept looking for other solutions, but let's get back to NICAP and the military connection. Of course, the key was the fact that the Board of Governors of NICAP had Rear Admiral Roscoe Henry Hillencutter, who was the first head of the CIA. And that caused a few alarms to go off. More to come. Tim Beckley joining Gene and Chris are in The
6: Pericast. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk. For every political persuasion, we are GCN.
7: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies paranormal activity and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free. Sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net That's MrUFO at at webtv.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. If the IRS has garnished your paycheck or seized money from your bank account, you need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Wall Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Wall Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call 1-800-425-4610 to put a wall back between you and the IRS. one 800 425 4610 Or look for us on the web at WallandAssociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at one 800 425 4610 Wall and Associates one 800 425 4610 Based on actual cases, results may vary, not a solicitation for legal services.
8: The IRS is a private corporation, not a government agency. Income tax is collected by voluntary compliance. To learn to unvolunteer or discontinue volunteering into the IRS, visit escapeharassment.com and immediately implement Strategy 1. The process must be repeated each and every time. Paper, letter, envelope, presentment, etc. Always and forever. Failure equates to acceptance, subsequent resultant contract, and you pay or go to jail by your own consent and agreement contract. Avoid recontracting. Visit escapeharassment.com and implement Strategy 1 immediately. Bar lawyers and accountants won't help you. Why wait? Get Strategy 1 and immediately implement it to divorce the IRS today and forever. That's escapeharassment.com strategy one to be free from the IRS. escapeharassment.com. Are you suffering from
9: EP? (laughs) The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP, electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good. is there's a cure id stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in ep protection layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of ep go to idstronghold.com now and get the cure idstronghold.com warning id stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security comfort in crowds and euphoria if you experience these emotions immediately inform your friends and family about idstronghold.com so they can feel better too
10: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: When Tim and I get together, folks, we start talking about the past, and we'll get to the future and what's going on, but we're talking about one of the major UFO organizations of the 50s and 60s, they lobbied heavily for congressional hearings on UFOs, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, Major Kehoe Director Richard Hall, the office manager. I guess in a sense, Keho believed, and maybe he was tone deaf, that if he had people in the military and some scientists on the board of directors, they'd be giving the organization more credibility. One of those was Helen Cotter, the first head of the CIA, Now, it happens that Hill and Cotter and Kehoe were old friends. They went to Annapolis together, okay? So there were two old soldiers who were close friends. So, yeah, why don't you join the organization? Now, Hill and Cotter left after a while. And maybe he felt, you know, he was mixed up in something he shouldn't have been mixed up in. That caused, I guess, some consternation on that part. On the other hand, if you want to believe that NICAP... Was really some kind of military front, and I suppose you could believe that, and there was reason to think it was possible. Wouldn't that be just too
4: obvious? Well, you would think that, but who who knows? You know, disinformation uh, uh, rears its heads in uh, in many different ways. I suppose, but you know, my thinking on this has always been: the government, of course, would rather uh, have you not believe in in UFOs. But if you're going to accept any you know any belief system. Then you should accept the idea that they're from outer space and not from uh, somewhere much closer to to home. Uh, and that's why I think you know the, the this Roswell uh, crash thing has been pushed on us for so many years because it, it's somebody trying to prove. A particular point of view, and you you can't do that in the UFO uh, you know field. You can't decide well this is what I want UFOs to be, so they're going to to be uh, this. You've got to let it lead the way, not you lead the way. And and that I think is one of the big downfalls of the uh, field, if you can really call it that, is because everybody is off in their own direction, trying to to prove their own pet theory. People always ask me, well, what's what is my opinion about UFOs, and I always say. Well, it doesn't matter what my opinion is, Gene. UFOs act independently of my thinking or anybody else's thinking. And and that's the root of all the evil here is that people are trying to prove their pet theory. And you can't do that, you know, because then you could probably logically go out and prove any theory that you possibly want, because there's probably a little bit of fact that would prove almost anything end of point. That is what I've learned after 50 plus years of uh, of uh, being involved in this field, is that you've got to remain open to all ideas. And uh, a lot of people get into this thinking that they are going to find a solution to the UFO mystery. And there isn't a solution. If there is a solution, it's certainly not one single singular simple solution. It's many solutions. It's a mystery. And I think it w- it's been a mystery for thousands of years. And I think it will be a mystery long after you and I have gone on into the heavenly realms. So
1: I take it by what you say is that the UFOs are not necessarily visitors from other planets, or maybe oh, that's one of many solutions.
4: Yeah, if if there have been visitors here from other planets, they've perhaps come and gone. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be showing up every day over, uh, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or over... Uh, uh, Bridgeport Connecticut or or uh, these small little towns and in desolate out of the way uh, places and contacting people who are probably on the fringe to begin with not to say that some of these experiences maybe are not uh real but there there is no pattern you know we're looking Jacques Vallée and these people are looking for a pattern but there is no real pattern i mean you can throw almost every pattern out the uh, the window because as soon as you think you have a pattern, something else comes along. Remember back was was it in the nineteen fifties, um, Gene and Chris? You're there, right? I am here. Well, this might be uh, before you were involved in the, any of this, uh, Chris. But do you remember the uh, the straight line theory? What was that called? Do you remember? So, I'm
2: A. Michelle. Yeah, uh, uh,
4: Amy Michelle. UFOs you know, in the what,
2: straight line mystery.
4: Yes, but they had a na- they actually even had a name for what it was called. And, and I can't remember what it was offhand, but that was big for a long, long time. And somehow the straight line mystery proved that they were from Mars, I think. And I don't even know how he came up with that idea. And <laughs> you never even hear anybody talk about that anymore. Well, we hear about the, the ley lines, which are straight lines. Well, but no, I don't think Chuck, that had anything. I don't Chuck think that had Sikowski's anything to come do. come
2: up with the theory that uh, sightings seem to be centered around the 37th uh, latitude line, which I think is a little bit of a, a leap. But
4: uh oh, but UFO sightings happen at every year, at longitude and latitude. I yeah, mean, they, they've exactly. been seen in the yeah. I mean, no, because you know, j- just when you when you can pinpoint and say here are where UFO sightings are, are the most prevalent, they will disappear there and show up, uh, you know, two thousand miles away. And of course, in in those days, outside of APRO, uh, those days, I mean, we're talking about the fifties and sixties. In those days, nobody even considered that this was a global uh, uh, mystery. UFOs were supposed to be just, uh, you know, something that happened here, were observed here in the United States, because obviously we had a lot of uh, degenerates and crackpots running around or something. I don't know. People with mental illnesses or uh, alcoholics or whatever, whatever people, whatever the skeptics would throw at you as being an explanation for what people L- were Lots saying.
2: of trailer parks.
4: Trailer parks. Well, I don't even know. I don't know if that's true. Drive-in theaters were big for a while. Uh, in fact, members of my family had a sighting over the drive-in uh, theater because I guess uh, I, again, people are outside and they're looking at the you know the, the night sky and uh, running to get hot dogs and popcorns and watching some zombie movies. So uh, that's a, a very good place to see see a UFO and there were a lot of sightings around um, uh, around drive-ins and also in uh, just in, in regular parks, national parks and places uh, like that because people, people are outdoors. if you're sticking your head inside, you're not very likely to see anything unless it uh, lands on your uh, you know, back deck or something.
1: So therefore, just any place where people were outside and maybe had the chance to look up, this, of course, is a time when people were not looking down at their smartphones or their tablets.
4: Or, or their uh, 40-inch TV assets or, or, uh, or their Skype or or any or or any or reading our books uh, for example i don't know yeah i guess uh, but you know people still have sightings uh, uh, there are a lot of sightings today are made by truckers because they're out on the road and uh, out by uh, campers uh, there have been any number of supposed abductions that have taken place while people were out you know camped out and weird things uh, happened uh, to them
1: let's go to so, abductions here and i assume the first abduction you heard about was barney and betty hill right tim
4: I would guess that was certainly the most popular one. You know, in our magazine, the Interplanetary News Service report, we published a lot of fringe stuff that nobody else would actually handle. I mean, I was never particularly interested in uh in lights in the sky except for the uh the things that I saw myself, you know. I always figured that this was a pretty much ground level uh phenomena and if you were ever going to come up with a, uh, uh, you know, like an explanation for it, you had to look, uh, you know, below treetop level and not up in the, uh, up in the sky. I mean, even today people are, uh, wowed and awed by all these, uh, uh postings on, um, uh, YouTube. And, uh, you know, we have some very good, I have my own YouTube channel. It's a uh, Mr. UFO secret files. And we've got some pretty good interviews. I mean, I would go around the country and, uh, take my video camera with me. In fact, I did a a tape of uh, Chris on his front porch. Unfortunately, the tape got all raveled and I was never able to use it but I had the, you know Ted uh, Phillips and and Tom Dongo and some very interesting you know on the uh, on the road type of interviews that I did and I was putting them on disc uh, and and setting them out free with our books and all I decided well I'll start a uh, YouTube uh, you know a channel and and, and get it up there uh, you know I mean this it's all below treetop level I mean things that happen in the sky are just not never really have been an interest to me and if you look at all these uh, uh, videos that are posted uh, most of them shot with a um, smartphone or something, so they're not going to be very good anyway. They don't prove anything. They prove that there are lights in the sky, and for thousands of years uh, we've seen lights in the sky. And you can't – it's like the Roswell uh, uh, alien uh, uh, mummy slides. You can't prove that, that there are anything because they are slides. And if there are lights in the sky, again, that's what you come up with is lights in the sky. It we'll doesn't get into more lights
1: looks, in the sky yeah. and things that aren't so light. We got a lot more to come with our old friend Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO. Maybe that's presumptuous, but that's what some people call him. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Pericast.
6: Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We
0: are GCN. If the IRS has garnished your paycheck
7: or seized money from your bank account, you need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Wall Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Wall Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call 1-800-425-4610 to put a wall back between you and the IRS. one 800 425 4610 Or look for us on the web at WallandAssociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at one 800 425 4610 Wall and Associates one 800 425 4610 Based on actual cases, results may vary, not a solicitation for legal services.
11: It's time to build your own emergency food stockpile with the industry leader, My Patriot Supply. Once you try them, you'll know why so many Americans like you have made them part of their emergency preparedness plan. Experience the My Patriot Supply difference today with this unbelievable offer. Right now, a 4-week food supply is only $99, and that includes free shipping. That's 50% off the online price. Call 800 274 3070 to claim yours. Limit 2 per caller while supplies last this offer isn't available online so you want to make sure and grab this opportunity to get prepared today 800-274-3070 to get your four-week food supply for the incredible price of only 99 dollars, and it'll be shipped to you completely free call 800-274-3070 right now that's 800-274-3070 to claim yours while supplies last don't wait call today
13: This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: Tim Beckley of Global Communications Interplanetary News Service and all these other names that he's used over the years. He's also published about 200 books. And the reason I mentioned that is because when we were posting some information about the interview on our forums at forum.thepowercast.com, I mentioned some of the authors, and a few of them are friends of the show, people you've heard on the show before. Certainly you've heard people like Nick Redfern, for example. He's been on the show frequently, and he's even in the past served as a guest co-host. And we've also mentioned people like Sean Castile and Tim Swartz and Brad Steiger and all that. Well, oh, yeah. But in the early days, you published some books from some people that we would call wackos, or to use the term that the late Long John Nebel used on his radio show, in the early days of talk radio, he called
4: the crazy people wackading hoy. Oh, he did indeed. Yes, well, you know, Gene, I'm not sure exactly what authors you're referring to per. per perhaps somebody like T. Lamsin Grampa, who remains immensely popular. In fact, if, if I could find UFO authors that were popular even today as much as T. Lamsin Grampa would be, the UFO books would sell much, much better than they uh, do.
1: Um, let's um, just interrupt here. Now, yes. this fellow is somebody who is no longer alive, obviously. That's correct. All mm-hmm. right. Who was he? Why would he be so popular?
4: Okay, well, the story goes is that he was actually a British plumber. He fell a off British a ladder- plumber. Br- plumber, that's correct. He fell off a ladder or a stool one day, and when he regained consciousness, his body uh, or his spirit had been taken over by a Tibetan Lama by the name of T. Lamsink, Rampa. Now, this may sound odd or, or bizarre or very peculiar, You think? Especially, okay, well, uh, yes and no. It probably was back in the 1950s when he put out his first book called The Third Eye, but today they're known as walk-ins. These are people who claim that they are actually here from uh, some other place, some other star system, some other world, some other dimension out to do her job uh, or a, a, a chore to raise the consciousness of the uh, of the of the planet. Now, a lot of these people, and we, we can get into this in a while, too, are musicians and actors and, and rock stars and uh, celebrities, Jimi Hendrix being one. Mark Boland, uh, uh, being another uh, a person along uh, along this uh, line, uh, I just did a, a book called Shirley McLean Meets the Palladians: The Amazing Flying Saucer Experiences of Celebrities, Rock Stars, and the Rich and Famous. And this is a very rev- uh, prevalent uh, theme that these people are here doing some chore to raise the spiritual vibrations of the planet, either through music or entertainment or their writing. And uh, so, you can't, you know, if you believe in that concept at all or the concept of reincarnation, it's really not that hard to 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 follow this particular theme. And in addition, T. Lampson Gromper, regardless of who, whoever he was, was a terrific writer. And that's something that's lacking. Actually, Gene, you have to admit that in the UFO uh, field outside of John Keel and maybe Jerry Clark and Nick Redford. Uh, the field is lacking really uh, Ivan T. Sanderson was a good writer, of course. Gray Barker was immensely popular. Most of the writers are very dull as dishwaters in this field, and the public is not going to pick up a a, a book and pay you know twenty four ninety five and, and put it back down because they find it very dull or statistical
1: in addition to having solid information, if you can't entertain people with a well written book, then you don't get your message across but that Kind of mixes scientific information. We hope it's scientific oh. with entertainment.
4: Oh, okay. Well, you know, I don't claim to be a scientist. I'm. My background is that of uh, uh, pretty much of journalism. I was a stringer for the Inquirer. I published and. Um Packaged numerous newsstand magazines, probably thirty different titles, everything from UFO Universe, which lasted for eleven years, and you did the uh, the typesetting on that, Gene, for most of that uh, of that period. But right. I also and as a
1: matter the, of fact, I did some editing on it. I cleaned up your editing. Did. It yeah, was a yeah, combination, well, I'm, I'm sure. of both. Well, yeah. uh,
4: uh, some of some of the writers certainly uh, needed that, and some of them didn't. I mean, we had a. Uh, I look at my experiences in this field and and my yeah. lifetime of doing this in two ways. First of all. Independently, I have my own beliefs, which I have a right to, and people don't understand. Well, some people say, "Well, how can you publish a a a book if this conflicts with your thinking?" Well, I'm also think of myself as a successful publisher. See, so some books I publish to entertain uh, myself. I have books out there that I know when I publish are not going to sell a hoot. Those, believe it or not, Gina, are the most serious books. The most serious, what we would call the most serious books in the field are the ones that are likely to sell the least amount of copies. The ones that tend to be a little bit more sensationalistic are the ones that uh, that people want to read about. And still what is very big are what we would call spellcasting books that have nothing to do with UFOs uh, whatsoever. Every once in a while, a UFO book will come along that people seem uh, interested in, like this one that we did recently called UFO Repeaters, The Camera Doesn't Lie, which is about people who seemingly have the ability to go out with their camera and take photographs of the sky and get unusual images on it. Some of it is psychic, uh, like uh, the late Stella Lansing. Um, Betty Hill even had the ability, apparently, she would go out at night and sit on a particular stretch of road where she thought that they might be coming uh, back and, and revisiting. And she got some unusual phenomena on her camera. Well, now, I don't know whether it's a physical ship that she photographed from outer space or whether this is something that she psychically imprinted there, but there are some people who have this uncanny, uh, uncanny ability to take photographs. And when the film is developed, uh, you know there's something that you can't explain. And some of them do it over and over and over. And obviously, some of them probably are, are hoaxes, and, and a lot of them are not. So I publish books because it entertains people uh I publish books because uh it educates uh people And and so I refuse just to publish the things that I'm interested in, which is no different than any other real publisher, Gene. Suppose I was uh, – you and I were uh, publishing uh, uh, books for Doubleday. Would we not take books that we thought would be profitable and stuff that perhaps would be against our political uh, political or personal or social agenda? Yes, we would because it's publishing and and this country – one thing that almost everybody in this country can agree on is freedom of speech. We may be on the left. We may be on the right. We may be on the center. But boy, when you take our freedom of speech away, everybody seems to wear the same uh, hat. So the key
1: here is if you feel a book is not overtly lying or making fraudulent yeah. claims yes. and has sales potential, you'll publish it.
4: Yeah, well, that would that probably would have been uh, – you know, ten years ago, Gene, because the book publishing business isn't uh, what it used to be. Today, to put today, we put out most of our books are done in house by uh, you know a, a a number of writers that we've done used over the years like Scott Corrales, uh, Tim Schwartz, Sean Castile, uh, William Kern. You know, it, it it it's people that we can rely on. I look at a book now as like putting out a magazine because. Most books are self-published now, to be honest with you, because big publishers won't touch them. It's not the market anymore. You know, if you can put out a book and sell a couple of hundred uh, copies, you're doing very good. Most publishers, even legitimate publishers, are now asking uh, authors to pay to get their books published. And, and I was surprised at the number of uh, of publishing companies that was doing that.
1: Well, of course, you do have self-publishing capabilities at Create Space, which is from Amazon. Yes, And the way they do it is what they call print-on-demand. Let me explain this. Mm -hmm. They call it print-on-demand. What that means is you put the book up on Amazon. Every time someone places an order, they custom print it and mail it to your customer. You don't have to keep an inventory. You can. I mean, you could buy at a discount a number of copies of your book. But lots of people do that, real publishers, not just individuals wanting to become publishers, real publishers do this because they don't have to pay for the inventory. They don't have to put a lot of money up front. And as you mentioned, in the old days, book authors would get an advance against royalties. So the publisher's sales department would say, you know what? This book is going to earn that author $5,000. So we'll give them $4,000 and hedge our bets or something like that. And speaking of special offerings, we've got one. It's called After the Paracast. That's our premium podcast available only, I repeat, only to subscribers of the Paracast+. Plus. Last week, for example, we had Curtis Collins telling us about the slide gate, as we call it, and the Roswell Slides Research Group. And you can find out more from plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. Five dollars a month, fifty a year, one hundred seventy-five for five years—a modest subscription. You get the ad-free version of this show after the PowerCast, all in one package. It's like paying less than sixty cents per show. That's pretty cheap, isn't it? Plus, dotthepowercast.com. Today we're talking to one of my old friends. As you can tell, we have lots of history together and lots of things to talk about. And a few questions from our listeners as well. He's Tim Beckley. We've got more to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
6: A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. If you owe $10,000 or more to the
14: IRS or state in back taxes, you know they'll never stop coming after you. With bank levies, wage garnishments, they'll even seize your home or business. The good news? A government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative.
9: I'm Paul Sibley. With U.S. Tax Shield, we can help navigate the new laws, get you protected, and resolve your tax issues permanently.
14: Call the experts at U.S. Tax Shield now for your free consultation and get a guaranteed quote to resolve your case. Call 800-436-6451. That's 800-436-6451.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we have the one, the only Tim Beckley, who claims to have published over 200 books. And we mentioned that some of those books maybe you don't agree with. And a lot of those books are by people that we know on the shelves, such as Scott Corrales and Nick Redfern and people like that. Uh Of all the books that you've published, Tim Beckley, looking back over a long history of publishing, which does go Mm -hmm. back around 50 years or so, because you started that as a teenager, what Uh book or books are you most proud of?
4: Oh, boy. Well, of course, I have my own two books on the uh, the Men in Black, which is the UFO silencers, and the other one is the um, Men in Black UFO Terrorists Amongst Us. I did a couple of books by Jenny Randall's. Well, actually, I published the Tell us about of-
1: Jenny Randall's. She's still around, still yeah. active, but a lot of people in this day and age do not remember who she is.
4: Uh, she's a, uh, one of the top uh, British UFO uh, researchers. Uh, she writes a, a regular column for the uh, the 14 Times. She's probably, I would guess, the Nick Redford of, of British uh, UFO uh, uh, writers. I would assume that she's done well over 100 books on the subject. But the book that we published of hers that I was most enthused about is called From Out of the Blue. It was the first pu- book published in the United States on the uh, Bentwaters incident, the Rendellstrom uh, Forest. Uh, UFO uh, landing uh, case. It sold reasonably well for a what I would call a nuts and bolts book. And we did manage to sell the uh, paperback rights to Berkeley paperbacks. Now, you know, in the old days, uh, uh, Gene, when you sold the paperback rights, you could uh, be assured of selling eighty to 100,000 copies. Uh, by the time that we got into selling like paperback rights, sales had gone down below the 20,000 mark. And today, they're probably almost non-existent. I don't even think you could mention maybe a handful of books on the subject that are available in paperback because there's no place to sell them. We had a big chain here in New York. We still do called the uh, Walgreens and uh, Dwayne du- uh, Reed. It's owned by the same owners. You know, it's a, far- a pharmacy, although now they're selling um, more food and uh, and, and candy and, and cookies and all that stuff than they are uh, pharmaceuticals because they're here in the tourist uh, you know area, and people come in uh, you know staying in the hotels and all here they want to bite to eat at two o'clock in the in the morning, but they had their entire basement at one time must have had something like two or three thousand paperback books. they were rack after rack after rack of paperbacks. And uh, they had a small section on the occult and on UFOs. Most of them were romance novels. Uh, you know, there was a big romance craze at one uh, uh, point. Uh, there must have been five or six publishers that were pu- putting out maybe a hundred books a uh, a month on on romances, mainly you know aimed at the uh, young uh, women's uh, market. And they sold very very well. Now, if you go into the same pharmacies, you might find one little rack of uh, magazines and maybe the top twenty five. Paperback books, so that market is almost totally uh, gone, and of course, bookstores have closed. We used to publish Gene, when we put out a new title anywhere from maybe two to three thousand titles uh, copies of a book. Now, for that's not a major publisher; they would do maybe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand copies, but we had a, a little niche market. I had a mailing list of about four thousand alternative uh, metaphysical new age bookstores. That list is down to about maybe three or 400 stores now, and most of those stores uh, keep in business by selling what we call sidelines, incense, oils, what else, uh, talismans, uh, uh, crystals, and, and, and jewelry. If you go into a, a bookstore along that line, you might find a couple of hundred titles at, at, at most. So there are now more authors than there are readers uh, for for books. If you go to Amazon and type in UFOs, uh, I think I came up with a total of 13,000 books. If you type in books about ghosts, there's like seven or 8,000 books. Well, how many people are going to Amazon every day and looking for uh, a, a book on, on UFOs, uh, correct? I, maybe a couple of hundred or something uh, like that, I would assume. And so how do they pick a book? If you don't know the exact name uh, of, uh, of a title of a book or a um, of a particular author that you're looking for, who knows what's going to come to the surface? You know, it's probably uh, something, uh, you know, some author who's taken uh, a couple of months to rewrite something that uh, Chris and I have already written 10 years ago. It's just a leap of faith today to go out and try to buy a book almost on any subject, especially along this line, and come up with something where you're really going to learn something uh, by. That's why I tell people go to Amazon and type in Interlight-Global Communications, and you'll see over 200 covers, and you can make a, a selection there, make up your own mind. Some are serious books. They're books. They're books of all kinds, and, and I think they're of value to some people, but enough about books. And uh... Oh, you know what I did want to mention, Gene, uh, is, you know, it's the 51st anniversary of the National UFO uh, Congress uh, coming up this year. And for the first time in many years, there's actually going to be a public meeting held in Cleveland, Ohio, under the auspices of our longtime friend Rick Hilberg.
1: Tell people about this, because I was involved in the early yes. establishment of this event.
4: Well, I, I believe uh, we were, we're still on the National uh, Organizing uh, Committee. Jim Mosley, I guess, uh, is the legitimate founder of the, uh, of the movement. But basically, it was also the Cleveland crowd. It was Rick Hilberg, Al Manig, and uh, Ron... The late Dale Retig. Dale Reddig, that's correct. And Ron Pelger, I believe, was the fellow's uh, name. And even Ed Beeble, to, to some degree, and Alan Greenfield. And and so most of us have not been together in many, many, many years. Uh, the actual last public meeting was held in Los Angeles with uh, Jim Mosley and uh, uh, Lisa. I don't remember what her name was offhand. But she was going to carry the, um, the torch of the organization, and she did it for about three years. And then it fell apart. And uh, that seemed to be the end of it until this last year when uh, everybody decided, well, we're getting up there in age and we should uh, – uh, continue on with the organization and, and see how our our beliefs and our ideas and our theories and and our research into this uh, ha- have changed over the years. So on June nineteenth to the twenty second, there will be the fifty first reunion of the National UFO Conference in uh, Cleveland, and it's honoring the real Gray Barker. I understand that's the theme of the um, of the program. Now I don't know if there are how many actual formal uh, speeches, uh, there will be uh, given, I guess it's kind of open, uh, you know, open forum for people that want to get up and, and, and chat and discuss all these, uh, subjects. But if you just go to Google and you type in national UFO conference, you'll get all the, uh, information. And I don't think there's any charge to get in or anything. There's a nominal fee for, uh, you know, like a, uh, cocktail, uh, hour, you know, uh, what do you, it's not an open bar; it's a public bar, you know, and uh, and maybe a little dinner or something together with all the uh, the group. And uh, we're hoping to see a lot of people that we haven't seen in many years uh, t- to show up for this uh, a meeting on the, the, that stretches from the nineteenth to the twenty second. And Gene, we're we're certainly hoping you will be there.
1: Well, of course, I don't travel much these days because I don't cast reflections, so they can't get a photo ID of me because I don't exist. But all well, seriousness aside. I'll consider it, okay? Yes. Mm -hmm.
4: I'm actually going to take the train, believe it or not. Uh, Make sure
1: the train doesn't go over 50 miles an hour on curves. Yeah,
4: yeah. You know, years ago, Gene, I was the editor, talk about editing different magazines. I was the editor of a magazine called Front Page Disasters. And uh, I actually enjoyed doing that. I I was kind (laughs) of sad to see when the magazine uh, uh, folded after three or four issues because it was something that I was kind of into, you know? And I would manage to sneak like one article an in issue into the magazine that had something to do with the um, uh, you know with the uh, the offbeat of the strange. We did an article on the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, I did an article on uh, this uh, uh, troop uh, World War one that walked into a, a cloud and was never seen again. I think um, um, something about like two two or three thousand soldiers in Australia that walked into a cloud banquet. so every issue I would put something you know different in the front page disaster to kind of give it a little bit of, uh, of, of flavor. And, uh, you know, I I did uh, I did some research on which was the uh, uh, the worst form of of travel as far as accident, you know, safety and accidents went and uh, eliminating uh, car accidents, which, of course, are uh, ghastly. They happen, it seems like every minute or two somewhere in the country. It was the train. The train was the worst than the bus. And it certainly was far uh, more unsafe than the um, uh, than uh, the airplane.
1: Well, you know uh, what? At this point. I haven't decided what I'd like to ride on anymore. I'm hoping for the Stargate. We've got Tim Beckley with Gene
10: and Chris. You're in The The Pericast. This is a nationwide announcement for consumers owing back taxes to the IRS. The slowdown in the U.S. economy is forced renewed action by the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlement amounts from qualifying consumers who owe back taxes. If you're eligible, your back tax settlement may be discounted by thousands of dollars. A specially assigned national hotline has been directly routed to Defense Tax Group. Consumers may now call and check their eligibility for a significant tax debt reduction. Financial stability is a major priority during this slow economy, so you're advised to dial this national hotline number now 800-678-4191 if you owe more than ten thousand dollars in back taxes to the irs you may now find significant relief you could save thousands of dollars if you qualify call now and get free vital information and to check your eligibility for a significant tax debt reduction call the defense tax group now 800-678-4191 that's 800-678-4191 800-678-4191
16: Extend your life with ExtendoVite Hey
17: neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know.
8: I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking ExtendoVite. It's been approved to help my heart. ExtendoVite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years. And Extendivite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about Extendivite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking Extendivite. I don't want to stop. To
18: order, call 1
8: 877 928
18: 8822. That's 1 877 928 8822, or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with
16: Extendivite.
8: The IRS is a private corporation, not a government agency. Income tax is collected by voluntary compliance. To learn to unvolunteer or discontinue volunteering into the IRS, visit escapeharassment.com and immediately implement Strategy 1. The process must be repeated each and every time. Paper, letter, envelope, presentment, etc. Always and forever. Failure equates to acceptance, subsequent resultant contract, and you pay, or go to jail by your own consent and agreement contract. Avoid recontracting. Visit escapeharassment.com and implement Strategy 1 immediately. Bar lawyers and accountants won't help you. Why wait? Get Strategy 1 and immediately implement it to divorce the IRS today and forever. That's escapeharassment.com, strategy one, to be free from the IRS. escapeharassment.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Now, let's focus on some serious stuff here, because before we had you on, Tim Beckley, Chris and I were referring to the fact that people these days might actually be embarrassed to call themselves UFO investigators or ufologists. I guess you can understand, especially the taint of certain recent events. But, of course, Roswell Slides, or as I call it, SlideGate, is nothing new. In the 1990s, we had the Santilli episode the alien autopsy we had mj-12 in the 80s i know some people think it's genuine a lot of people don't so with that do you feel also that the ufo field has been made toxic
4: oh boy see i i've kind of i've kind of grown up a little bit different than this i I have a lot of other things that I do in in, in life besides chase uh, UFOs. Uh, I was in the uh, in the publishing business. I promoted rock and roll bands for uh, uh, quite a number of uh, years. I've done horror movies, you know. So I've done a lot of things, and you know, people always respected me for being a creative person. I don't think over the years more than maybe two or three people ever came up to me and said you're a flake or a crackpot or a a, a, a looney tune. I never pushed it on uh, anybody. If they were interested in it, I would tell them about the uh, the subject. And you know something? A lot of people were interested in it, especially like musicians and stuff. You know, I'd have conversations with them, and they're pretty intelligent uh, people for the most lot. You know, even celebrities that I would... Uh, Interview for the Inquirer. A lot of them, when the formal conversation was finished, or the I was inter- finished interviewing them, they would ask me questions, and I'd end up hanging around a half an hour or an hour longer than the interview was supposed to last because they were interested in what I had to say, as well as I was interested in what they were telling uh, me. So I, I've never felt that stigma uh, of being a um, just a UFO researcher. Even the people that I published the magazines for, like UFO Universe, you know, was was part of a very big publishing empire. Uh, it was uh, Goodman Publishing. That was the original uh, name of it. But they had at one point something like uh, forty different magazines, and UFO Universe was just one of them. And then we did, uh, if you remember, Gene, uh, a few spinoffs. There was uh, UFO Files and Unsolved UFO Sightings uh, and all. And they were publishers, you know, and and they were they were hot on UFO Universe because. At least it usually broke even. It was an inexpensive magazine to put out. At least it usually broke even. So and that's why you occasion- paid
1: me so little to put it together. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah, today, yeah, today, Gene, Gene, today you would get far less because everybody is doing their own typesetting or, uh, or, or doing it for a very, very uh, cheap. And nobody pays for material. At least, Gene, we paid for stories. We paid 100 $150 for an article, right? Today, nobody pays. I can't think of a magazine. Chris, do you know of a magazine uh, that pays for material outside of maybe 14 times?
2: You know, that's a good question. I, I, I really don't think so. I write no. for uh, the World Explorers Club magazine, and I don't get paid. Of course, I. it's kind of a yes. column that I have. But yeah, uh, yeah it's I, I, it's people like uh, Sean Castile and Antonio Huneus who, uh, who wrote for many, many magazines and, and did articles yeah. for many magazines, would have a hard time making a living now.
4: Keep Sean uh, busy uh, Antonio has uh, g- kind of disappeared on us yeah i did I did speak to him uh, recently you know he was uh, working for open mind uh, the open mind people, the magazine, and doing a very good job because he certainly had a a, a huge uh, inventory of of material, especially when it comes to to foreign researchers. He was you know very articulate he he, he did a lot of good interviews and all, and then he just kind of disappeared from the uh, from the scene. Yeah, I what happened? Speak. Well, I don't know exactly, but I, I guess he he was uh, let go from the magazine just because of uh, financial circumstances there before they folded. You know, it, at one point they were going to pay, I, I remember when I walked into their office, they were going to pay outlandish sums of money for uh, articles. And of course I was very excited about that, but by the time I got around to uh, writing an article, the the price that they paid was reasonable but was far, far less than what they had uh, originally talked about. They were going great guns, but they knew nothing about publishing. I mean, they just didn't have a, a, a clue about distribution. The only place you could ever find the magazine was in Barnes & Noble, if you look very carefully for it. Uh, no promotion or advertising on it uh, whatsoever outside of their own uh, little uh, clique uh, there. Also, too, the thing that I told them is that you don't have to put out a magazine that is glossy like that in order to sell copies to the UFO base. You have to present them with material that's new, different and exciting and not the same old stories, uh, you know, issue after issue. And they don't care about seeing the Billy Meyer photographs again. And so most of these magazines are pumped up with pictures that are 30 years old, you know, I mean, they're, they're printing the same. And and I was kind of guilty of that too, because there really aren't that many good UFO photographs. You know, people would call me on the phone or send me an email, Gene, and they'd say, Oh, I've got a great UFO photograph. How much will you pay for it? 25 bucks. I mean, look at even the, the Roswell slides. There wasn't one paper that I know of in the United States that picked up an article on this and published a story on the, on the uh, subject. Let me
1: tell you something here. Very interesting. The Huffington Post apparently published an article, but it was very shortly withdrawn because of factual problems. And you didn't know that until you searched Roswell Slides and you found the link to that particular article. So you're right here. Maybe there was coverage, but very little.
4: There was, As far as I know, it was covered in, um, on a news station in Chicago where the originator of the slides, uh, the discoverer of the slides, uh, lives, Right. There was not, I even combed the Mexican newspapers. I did not see one single article about the, uh, uh, the conference uh, down there in the big stadium. Uh, it, was, it was, you know, outside of uh, the, the people now that we, uh, we see on the Internet posting their harsh feelings about this, it almost seems to have been a non-event. Uh, outside of a few thousand people who uh, staked their lives on, on UFOs and are fascinated by the subject, I mentioned it to my friends, they don't even know what I'm talking about.
1: Well, you know, it's not that small, because the attendance was reported to be between 6,500 and 7,000 people in Mexico City. And maybe thousands, tens of thousands, and maybe a lot more paid for this on-demand or pay-per-view streaming session. So obviously people did see
4: it. You know, I, don't, I do not believe, Gene, that it was anywhere near that amount. I would bet you it was under $2,000 on demand. You know, I searched for where I was going to pay to watch it. I couldn't find it until after the event was over. You couldn't even type it in and find out where it was streaming. It wasn't, it wasn't on like pay-per-view on your TV channel or anything like that. You had to hunt for the uh, place to go and plunk your money down. It was very, very poorly organized, to be, to be uh, honest uh, with you, and and maybe, there, maybe there was a reason for that. I don't know. Do you uh, do you think that these guys really didn't know that that was a mummy? I mean, it, back on January twenty sixth, I posted on the internet a photograph of a of a mummy uh, that looked almost identical to the the Roswell uh, aliens, and this was this was still while the case was in its early, you know, where they had announced, I believe that, uh, you know, the uh, May 5th would be the release date of this. And, and I had seen m- maybe there was the grab shot was up there yet. I don't even remember. And it was easy to track down because, you know, I've traveled around this uh, uh, country. I've been to the, the Southwest. I've been to Arizona. I've been to New Mexico. And alien mummies are kind of a dime a dozen.
1: Well, you know what? We- this is not a dime a dozen when we have Tim Beckley here. A wealth of information i to Tom the with Gene and Chris, you're in The Podcast.
6: We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G C N.
10: is a nationwide announcement for consumers owing back taxes to the IRS. The slowdown in the U.S. economy is forced renewed action by the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS is now accepting reduced settlement amounts from qualifying consumers who owe back taxes. If you're eligible, your back tax settlement may be discounted by thousands of dollars. A specially assigned national hotline has been directly routed to Defense Tax Group. Consumers may now call and check their eligibility for a significant tax debt reduction. Financial stability is a major priority during this slow economy, so you're advised to do- Dial this national hotline number now, 800-678-4191. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes to the IRS, you may now find significant relief. You could save thousands of dollars if you qualify. Call now and get free vital information. And to check your eligibility for a significant tax debt reduction, call the Defense Tax Group now, 800-678-4191. That's 800-678-4191. 800 800- 678-4191. If the IRS has garnished
7: your paycheck or seized money from your bank account, you need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Walland Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Walland Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call one 800 425 4610 to put a wall between you and the IRS. 1-800-425-4610 or look for us on the web at wallandassociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at 1-800-425-4610. Wall and Associates. one 800 Based on actual cases, results may very not a solicitation for legal services.
6: Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Okay, so Tim Beckley is not an alien mummy or an alien daddy, but as he says, these mummies are not uncommon. The thing that bothered me when I look at this slide is it's in a display case with kind of a glass table. And you see someone, I guess a woman wearing a blue skirt and blouse was looking on it, was behind it at least. And you think here, if this was really an alien body, number one, it would be some kind of medical table. Number two, any personnel visible, in the photo would be wearing protective suits. I mean, what about alien viruses? Why didn't
4: anyone ask such sensible questions? Well, that's, that's, a, uh, that's the, the most important question right there. I don't know why anybody could not have seen this. You know, but again, Jaime Masson, and I don't want to say anything critical about anybody in the uh, You know, in you know the, what? In,
1: the field. in this case, he deserves criticism.
4: Okay, and this isn't the first time that he pulled something like this. Back about two years ago, Bill Shatner's people got in touch with me. Uh, Bill was doing a show uh, called "William Shatner: Weird or What?" They had and in William a, Shatner's uh, case, it's what it uh, it was weird. Okay, anyway, they they had this um, creature, this supposed alien that had been caught in a trap in Mexico, and Jaime Musan was uh, touting this as being a real extraterrestrial that had been uh, trapped and killed by a farmer who later died under mysterious circumstances he claimed as if a curse had been put on him supposedly they threw uh, the alien in a vat of acid and it took its skin off and then somehow it got caught in this trap well they managed to get scientists apparently to say that this was a real creature and that it was a, a, a possibly an extraterrestrial well they wanted me to come up to canada and to confirm this. And, you know, I told them, basically, I said, I have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, my credibility may be with some people on shaky ground as it is, but I can only go so far. So I said, you know, this is obviously not a, uh, extraterrestrial. This is not something that traveled through space, uh, you know, in any kind of uh, flying disc and, and, and landed here. It's a being or a creature or, Something that's about maybe seven or eight inches tall, perhaps. Uh, later on, some people said it was a shaven monkey, but I don't know whether that's the case or not. Anyway, I did go to Canada, and my theory was that it was not an extraterrestrial, but it might have been a jinn, which, of course, is the Islamic um, equivalent of a of, of a demon of of sorts. And we've talked about this on the uh, on the air before, and we had some photographs that showed a correlation between this uh, a creature in the trap and what a djinn uh, looks like. So I was willing to go that far, realizing that it was not an extraterrestrial and it possibly wasn't uh, anything uh, real at all. And they did have on different explanations. They had on the scientist who said uh, that this had to be some sort of uh, living being at one point. And they had on somebody else who said it was basically uh, a creature made up of many different uh, animals, you know, that had been uh, composited uh, together and, and put in the in the trap. Well, I don't know what it was, but it certainly wasn't an extraterrestrial. And I can't believe how anybody with any academic uh, credentials would go on the air like they did and, and say this was uh, legitimate. But if you remember, Gene, even back with the alien autopsy uh, uh, video, which certainly was a, a hell of a lot better than uh, the Roswell uh, aliens uh, here they they managed to get scientists and they managed to get people with academic credentials and people in the entertainment business who came out and said well this could not possibly be a hoax it would be too expensive to to come up with a uh, you know a, 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 an alien of this type and to record an autopsy well that's nonsense because i've been in the uh, the entertainment and the film business for a long time I remember there was a guy many years ago, Gene, his name was Jack. I can't remember what his last name was. But he made money by buying the rights to movies that were made in South America and bringing them over here and dubbing them into English and releasing them. Most of them were women in prison films. Now, I don't know why. Excuse me, you
1: mean like Orange is
4: the New Black? Well, this was a long time ago, and these films were shown on, uh, mainly on Times Square and in secondary uh, theaters and in drive-ins. Yes, there w- th- there was, it has always been a very popular genre, uh, believe it or not. And he would buy these films that were made in South America and bring him over here and edit them and, and add gruesome parts to it, like knife scenes uh, and, and all that. Well, he, if you remember years ago, there was a controversy over snuff films, Gene, and whether they were legitimate or not. Well, this guy bought a film in South America where women were being chased through the jungle, uh, you know, by uh, maniacs and so forth. And, and, and he tacked on a, a five minute scene at the end where somebody was being snuffed out and they released it as being a, a legitimate film. Some people said, oh, it was impossible for anybody to have created this. It had to be, you know, authentic. A look at the women. The woman they're gutting her on the table. Well, it was a magician's trick, Gene. They had her head sticking through, you know, a hole in the uh, the bed that she was, uh, you know, supposedly on, and they they had a fake dummy that they that they cut up and and all, and it was gruesome, you know, fake uh, blood. But it cost the guy. I talked to the guy. It cost them like three thousand dollars to do. So anybody who doesn't know anything about movies doesn't realize that really some of this stuff is very economical and cheap to do. I knew guys when this alien uh, autopsy film came out who had better-looking aliens. They were 17-year-old, would-be filmmakers, and they had better-looking aliens in their basement. And it cost them nothing to do because because they were creative. Well, nowadays, of
1: course, if you want to become a filmmaker, you can actually do it on your iPhone. You can do it on your iPad. And they do. They do use these things for commercial films or TV shows. You could do it with a not expensive digital camera. Get some desktop editing software. Apple charges $300 for Final Cut Pro X. And despite some problems with the original release, it is used in the TV and film industry. It's not expensive to get involved. And anyone with a reasonable amount of artistic skills can produce some incredible stuff. So, you know, I don't know. We're kind of moving aside from some of the critical issues here. But how does the UFO field, and we'll have a few questions from listeners Mm -hmm. soon, but how does the UFO field, Tim Beckley, get any credibility at all when they keep falling into this trap year after year?
4: Well, you know, I often wonder, Gene, who exactly are they trying to get credibility from? First of all, the disclosure people are out to get congressional hearings. That is not very likely to happen, well, we had it
1: happen in the 1960s, and that went nowhere. It gave us the Condon Committee.
4: Yes, indeed. But also, too, you know, what, what does the government actually know about UFOs? Of course, that is a mystery to most people. I would say that, if anything, maybe there are only a handful of people in the military uh, who have known anything legitimate about this subject uh, over the years. Everybody else is open to the same basic information that it was available to you and I. I mean, if I were the president of the United States and people would pressure me about this continuously, you know what I would tell them? Go to your bookstore, go to amazon.com, dot com, find a couple of books, read them, and make up your own mind. Because it's like telling people what to believe as far as religion goes. How are you gonna get you're not gonna the president isn't gonna go on on uh, a tv you know on the six o'clock news and tell you about what religion you should uh follow and he's not likely to go on tv and tell you you know what ufos to believe in and what ufos not to believe in because probably it's a mystery to most people and if the if a politician is not interested in the subject he's not going to go out and investigate it you know it's got to be something that happened to him personally or somebody um uh maybe that's a part of his uh uh, uh what's the word that i'm i'm looking for? Um, uh, you know, it, it's like these guys from Windlesham Forest. Now they got in touch with their their congressmen and their senators because they could not get their uh, they couldn't get their uh, medical records. right? We're talking specifically
1: about John, Bur- John Bur- Burroughs here. Yeah.
4: John Burroughs, correct? Okay. Now I know John Burroughs. In fact, you know, years ago when John got out of the military, he moved to uh, uh, Phoenix. Right, and, and we'll Larry get into that in a Morgan-
1: moment because John was actually over here at the studio for one of the tapings. We got more to come. Yeah. And we've got yeah. Tim Beckley to tell us now more of these well, histories be- of yeah. possible government knowledge and or involvement with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
6: Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. GCN.
9: Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP, electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good. is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection, layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too.
17: It's absolutely heartbreaking. All over America, people are suffering from issues related to angina pain, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, irregular heartbeat, clogged arteries, and high cholesterol. Can you live your life free from sickness, pain, and fear, and experience your body healing itself? Look to Heart and Body Extract, an all natural supplement that aids ailing bodies. It has an exclusive formula of wild-crafted and organic herbs. End the pain without all the side effects of prescription drugs. People 20 years younger will envy your vitality. Want a happier, healthier you? Then go to heartandbody.com or call toll-free 866-295-5305 for free information. Heart and Body Extract offers a lifetime guarantee with no price increase in over 14 years. What are you waiting for? Call Heart and Body now at 866-295-5305 for your free information. Go to heartandbody.com 866-295-5305. Distributor inquiries welcome. Thank you. The human body is extraordinary despite all the stress we inflict upon it. Thousands of people across the country use an extremely effective product to help their body stay balanced. It's heart and body extract an all natural herbal formula designed to help maintain healthy blood pressure, clean arteries, promote good circulation and balance cholesterol heart and body extract along with good nutrition and exercise can give you a life free from pain, sickness, and fear recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself. Self with the aid of Heart and Body extract. Learn more and read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers at heartandbody.com. Heart and Body extracts offers a lifetime guarantee with no price increase in over 14 years. For free info call 866-295-5305 now. That's 866-295-5305 or heartandbody.com. Distributor inquiries welcome. 866-295-5305.
3: Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: When Tim Beckley gets started, he doesn't stop. Let me tell you before we go on, we have another radio show called After the Paracast. It's available exclusively to subscribers of the Paracast Plus. To get on the list to download each week's version, Go to plus.thepowercast.com, P-L-U-S.thepowercast.com. We also give you higher quality audio version of the PowerCast and we knock out those network ads. 41 minutes of those network ads, gone. So those of you who wanted an ad-free version of the show, that's how you get it. It's a modest subscription fee, plus.thepowercast.com. We're talking to Tim Beckley. You mentioned here that you got in touch with John Burroughs years ago when he moved to the Phoenix area.
4: Yeah, you know, um, we were holding uh, regular conferences there in in Phoenix uh, for quite a number of years. And John Burroughs had just gotten out of the service and had moved to the Phoenix area. And Larry Warren was uh, living there. So somehow I managed to get John Burroughs on the phone. And I said, why don't you come down? Because there, were, there was still at that time a little bit of bad blood between the two of them and a little bit of disagreement as to whether Larry was uh, actually there on one of those nights, which, of course, he was but that's another story. So I invited John Down, at, uh, John Down to the uh, conference and the two of them actually had a uh, public debate and and this would have been years and years and years before uh, Rendlesham Forest really was getting the attention that I think that it uh, it deserved. I knew Larry was telling the truth because he was the original uh, whistleblower on this. And back in 1980, I think it was 86, there was a um, a town meeting that was held in the high school in Brewster, New York, Dr. Hynek was there. Jacques Vallée was there. Uh, a lot of credible researchers uh, were there. It was uh, organized by uh, Peter Gerst the lawyer at the time because of all the sightings that had taken place in Westchester County. And the public wanted to know uh, what it was, uh, the, this triangle, this boomerang-shaped craft that was being seen by thousands of people, what it was and what was the explanation for it. So they had a, a town hall meeting that about 500 people actually uh, showed up. And Larry Warren was on the stairs of the high school, or maybe it was a middle school, uh, of uh, the uh, Brewster High School, talking to people for the first time about what had happened to him in uh, 1980. So this was this was years before any of the books were written, uh, before uh, Lieutenant Holt uh, got out there and uh, his tape was being played and so forth. If it wasn't for Larry. Uh, I doubt if any of this would even have come out in, uh, you know, into the public uh, domain.
2: Speaking of Rendlesham, we do have uh, some questions, and uh, this one's from SRI, and he's wondering if anyone has uh, would like to – he says, I'd like to hear Tim's impression of Peter Robbins, of course, who is a uh, co-author of uh, Left at the Eastgate. And and perhaps recap a few mm-hmm. of the experiences that both Tim and Gene encountered back in ufology's good old days, which which we've kind of done that. But what is your impression of, of Peter and Larry, and I guess your impression of Peter's work with that?
4: Oh, I think I think it's a tremendous a, a tremendous body of uh, of evidence. Uh, I mean, he he and uh, Larry uh, Larry spent I think uh, nine years uh, working on their uh, book, as opposed to you know a year or so that Nick Pope and and um, Peddington and Burroughs worked on on theirs. It's got everything in there. I mean, it's got pretty much all of the evidence and and the stories, uh, you know, the experiences have not uh, changed. Of course, you know, I know Larry Warren pretty well. I mean, I've hung out uh, with him, you know, uh, socially there's another side of Larry that uh, I guess a lot of people don't uh, know. He he was involved in the uh, entertainment bi- uh, business. Of course, he is a musician in his own right. He knew uh, a lot of the jazz musicians and Stevie Ray Vaughan and so forth. He's playing with a couple of bands. So he, he does have a, a certain magnetism and charisma to him. And I think uh, of anyone, he's best. Uh, suited to get the story out about Rendlesham uh, Forest, you know. But now there are so many different stories and so many different uh, directions that this is coming uh, to us from that it seems to have gotten kind of like Roswell, a little bit more convoluted. But it is the the only uh, recent case that I can think of that seems to be uh, at, at some point where maybe we could find out a little bit something more about it. There must be some more government records uh, on this that have not been uh, released, and of course the medical. Uh, the information on the, these uh, fellow's medical background and what happened to him uh, because of those uh, two or three nights there in the uh, in the forest. Do you think that the the finally uh,
2: Burroughs getting access to uh, his medical records is a sort of tacit acknowledgement of the legitimacy of the case by the government? Uh, as Some people are claiming.
4: Yeah, I would. I would. I was, uh, I would obviously uh, think so. And why would they go to the extent that they have to keep the re- records not only from him? Uh, but from other uh, agencies, that, you know, including medical doctors and people from the, the uh, Veterans Administration who have tried to get a hold of the records. That doesn't seem forthright in, in, in any uh, regard, does it? I mean, okay. Well, I, I would think that, uh, you know, there's, there's some gross neglect there on the part of uh, some government agencies to give him uh, and the public the information that should be readily available to his uh, doctors and people at the Veterans Administration. I mean, there's just something wrong uh, with this. Why would they hide the information? Even if they sanitized it, they should make it available to them. Yeah,
2: you would think. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, almost I mean, like it, – remember the lawsuits back in the uh, mid-'90s by workers at Area 51 and, and uh, was thrown out of court because uh, the base didn't exist. So uh, how could they uh, sue the government for uh, health uh, re- you know, damage that they e- yeah. experienced at a base that doesn't exist? Now that the CIA has acknowledged the existence of the base, I would think that those people would be <laughs> would be uh, doing another class action suit against the government now that there's been official acknowledgement of the base's existence.
4: Well, are, are any of them still alive? You know, that might be yeah, that might be one of the problems. Right uh, there. You know, the dead the dead can't sue, I suppose. Uh, I, I would say if you know, if there's anything to come from ufo uh, hearings or involvement in any of the uh, the the, uh, the government or senators or congressmen this is where it would come from because here they don't have to point at lights in the sky it's a met, it's a medical issue it's something that a a a, a, a veteran is deserving of this information see so this makes them the good guy instead of uh, looking like uh, some uh, you know weird uh, uh person who sees ufos in the in the sky or something this, this puts them in the whole subject perhaps in a more positive spin so if anything is ever going to come from this i i would say that this might be the the area in, in which we should uh push instead of touting forth all these uh witnesses uh, some of whom are very good but you know Uh, The the thing with disclosure is you've got some uh, good witnesses and you've got some uh, there that certainly don't deserve to be, uh, you know, uh, put in the public uh, domain, especially like, you know, during the uh, the middle of those non congressional hearings. But they they were interesting. Right. They bring out this guy who's supposedly, you know, uh, uh, breathing very difficult. And he's a a few days before he's going to die. And he talks about, you know, all this uh, uh, military uh, stuff. Well, that seemed pretty hokey to me. I mean. If, if there was anything hokey, that certainly was. And I don't think that necessarily belonged as part of the uh, of that uh, that meeting. You know, it kind of uh, again, it, it kind of steered it off into a very negative uh, light. You know, it's something that had not been vetted, something that had not been proved. And we don't know whether that guy's dead or alive or it was just an actor that is bo- was brought in. You know, right. I mean, how much background check do they do on some of these uh, uh, people? I wonder,
2: Yeah. Well, Paul Hillier's uh, closing
4: statement was the one that really drove me up the wall. <laughs> and, and what was his closing statement? I well,
2: he was reading from Jim Sparks, uh, very questionable account of uh, his a- alleged abduction, which uh, oh. it just, I don't know. I, I have a hard uh-huh. time with the story uh, to begin with, but to read the, uh, uh, the quote, quote the aliens and what they had to say to him um, yeah. as a way to end this week long uh exercise uh-huh. uh, to me it was it, it just <laughs> it's like taking a taking a samurai sword to a balloon and just popping it and boom just all the well, gravitas I, I, I,
4: I don't i don't suppose though chris that you can censor anybody on, on, on giving their opinions about ufos especially if you uh, you know call them forth because just like on the paracast here uh, you had uh, you know how many different guest gene have you had on here a couple of hundred maybe more than that by now right everybody's got their own opinion if you were to parade them in front of a a congressional hearing they would just pretty much tell what they've told on the on the air and a lot of people would shake their head in disagreement and some people would shake their head in agreement you know you never get a a totality uh, of agreement on uh, on uh, any of this and and i don't think that you ever will because ufos are something different to me than they might be to the next person or to you guys see you know i mean UFOs are unidentified and and that's what they are and you can't I you know you can't readily identify them so you can put you know I remember going into a newsstand one time and asking the uh, the uh, the owner if he carried UFO Universe magazine and he looked at me I don't even think he knew what a UFO was but he said what could you possibly why would I carry that magazine what could you possibly have to say
1: I have something to say now and we have to do this break with Gene and Chris, with Tim Beckley, you're in The
6: Paracast. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or
14: state in back taxes, you know they'll never stop coming after you. With bank levies, wage garnishments, they'll even seize your home or business. The good news? A government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative. I'm Paul Sibley.
9: With U.S. Tax Shield, we can help navigate the new laws, get you protected,
14: and resolve your tax issues permanently. Call the experts at U.S. Tax Shield now for your free consultation and get a guaranteed quote to resolve your case. Call 800-436-6451. That's 800-436-6451.
19: You've heard them on Alex Jones. You've seen them on Ancient Aliens. Now come see them live at Contact in the Desert 2015 in Joshua Tree this May. Experience four full days of science-centered lectures, workshops, intensives, and fieldwork on ancient astronauts, extraterrestrial intelligence, human origins, crop circles, contact experiences, UFO sightings, and more. Meet Chariots of the Gods author Eric Von Daniken, Ancient Aliens host Giorgio A. Tsoukalos, New York Times best-selling author David Wilcock, Dead. Dog- Doctors Don't Lie author Dr. Joel Wallach, astronauts Edgar Mitchell and Story Musgrave, Earth Files publisher Linda moulton Howe. author Jim Mars, and many of the world's most respected researchers and scientists exploring answers to one of the greatest questions of all time. More speakers, more panels, more things to do. Join us at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center, which has a long history of sightings and contact experiences. For advanced tickets and conference schedule, go to contactinthedesert.com. That is contactinthedesert.com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: So you went into the newsstand, you asked about UFO universe, Tim Beckley, and the proprietor says, you know, why would he carry anything like
17: that, right?
4: And he said, "What, what could you possibly write about UFOs issue after issue? And I tried to explain to to him that you could write almost anything that you wanted about the the subject because UFOs are identified, and therefore each writer has their own uh, opinion and their own uh, take on the on the subject.
16: And, but going back to congressional hearings yeah.
1: here, the thing that you'd have to demonstrate if such a thing were to occur again, yep. because again, as I said, we had those hearings nearly fifty years ago. If it happens again you merely have to demonstrate that there is a credible phenomenon that may potentially present a national security issue, but at least it's an unknown scientific phenomenon, and you don't have to give a solution, because I think that's the worst thing you can do. You don't say it's spaceships. Yeah. It, you don't say they're yeah. interdimensional. I yeah. kind of go for Leslie Kane's view on that particular issue, that you don't go to people like this, And push a particular point of view. You push the existence of a mystery that needs to be solved.
4: Well, yes. But again, in today's atmosphere of everything going on with international terrorism, climate control, and everything else you can imagine, how important on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, are UFOs? uh, You know, and and then you get... uh, Let's face it, the opposition, if you're a Democrat and you you make some comment about UFOs in a positive vein, the Republicans are going to get all over your case and vice versa. It would have to be a unified statement made either by both parties, which is not likely to happen because they haven't hardly agreed on anything in the last uh, 20 years, or you'd have to get some international organization like the United Nations, to uh, To become involved in this, and there was an attempt, of course, uh, many years ago, uh, to get the UN to set up some sort of international committee. In fact, I was there for the, I don't know if you would call them hearings, because it, it was a pub, you know a public forum. But it was Dr. Hynek and uh, astronaut Gordon Cooper and um, the pilot. Uh, I guess his name was a coin that was a helicopter pilot over Ohio that had seen this thing. Uh, you know, veering towards his uh, chopper and so forth. And they, uh, Dr. Hynek, they had a, a very uh, high level meeting there and they tried to get the UN to set up some sort of international uh, committee at a very low expense. And we know that the UN has all kinds of committees on everything. And everybody except for the island of Grenada and India voted against it. You know, here are how many nations in the United Nations that never agree on anything But when it comes to UFOs, they all got together and said nay, which I I, which I do think is very peculiar because, like I say, the U.N. has all kinds of subcommittees uh, looking into all kinds of uh, things, some uh, of potential of value to humanity and some of uh, everybody's waste of time. But they still do it. So to set up a a committee to look into UFOs does not seem to be something that is too far-fetched, because if we ever do get to the point where we have to say hello to somebody from somewhere else, who's going to do it for us? Stephen Greer. Oh, let's not choke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's he's our ambassador to the universe. Come on. Well, actually, no, I do believe that the United Nations has a lady, a woman who does have uh, something similar to that title, but I don't believe she's ever pressed uh, any of this or, or, or seemed to want to, to do anything with, you know, to, to get the, the ball rolling on this. So we're back to, to square one. There will never be a disclosure. You know, if, if there were a million people, let's say that everybody who has seen a UFO or claims to have been abducted decides to take uh, to the street and, and demonstrate Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. What does it What does it take to get the government's attention on any uh, a, a subject? Hundreds of thousands of people taken to the street. Not even five thousand people. Not even ten thousand people. I mean, look at all the situations in Ferguson and all these other towns. A couple of thousand people just it it doesn't hack it. You've got to bring. Tens of thousand people to demonstrate and to to show that there's something to the subject. A couple of people, a couple of thousand people faxing into their senator uh, or uh, sending an email to their congressman isn't going to do anything because there's already too many topics on their desk, which they can't deal with even now under normal circumstances. So UFOs would just be something that would destroy them even worse than they're being destroyed by uh, members of the opposite political party.
2: Maybe uh, a groundswell of of threats of future anal probing if they don't do the right thing and hold hearings.
4: (laughs) Well, maybe some of those guys would like that, I would assume.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I find it ironic that the only country that really decided to get involved was Grenada. Where they did have an actual um, meeting, I think Heineken and yes. were there, and Lee Shargel, oh, yes. I think, was there. He covered it, and and what happened? The the premier of Grenada was deposed by the U.S. Marine Corps.
4: He, yeah, they had, but it wasn't him. It, that was Sir Eric uh, Gary, but I think somebody else had taken over the uh, the government, a communist, and he had fled to some penthouse apartment in the, the Bahamas or something somewhere. You know, I mean, he had uh, just okay. totally had disappeared. But they did actually put out a series of postage stamps which actually they're not the first country to put out UFO postage stamps because, you know, a lot of countries uh, make a huge income on selling postage stamps on all kinds of subjects uh, to stamp collectors around the world. In fact, there was a whole series of postage stamps with Georgia dabsky on them. And, and I can't remember offhand what uh, little country put them uh, out. But, uh, you know, there's the uh, the bell shaped uh, craft of the mothership and. George Adamski's uh, smiling your face on the postage stamp. And Granada had their own uh, series of postage stamps on that. And maybe maybe they had the Adamski stamps. I don't remember. But, you know, they tried. They did at least get it in front of the U.N. They did get the ball rolling. But China, Korea, the only country that, uh, that voted in favor of setting up the committee was India. Everybody else voted. How is that possible? Most countries uh, either a stain if if they don't know anything about the subject they just pass on it right here they voted against it that to me seems really really peculiar who do they go back to in in, uh, you know uh, obviously these ambassadors and the and the people who vote on this have to go back to somebody in their country and find out which way they're going to vote it's not something that they make up their own mind on so somebody obviously in all of these countries has to say nay you're not voting in favor of this because it's against our policy
1: Well, governments never get together on anything anyway.
4: You have to show a compelling
1: political reason for them to get together, an immediate threat. I mean, if they thought that E.T. was landing tomorrow or had evidence of something of that nature, they'd do it. But right now, clearly, there's either a threat they're afraid to reveal or they don't think it's a threat or they just don't think it's worth anything. I think I've also suggested a number of times in the show that if there is a secret, it's probably
4: been funneled off to private industry. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that I sat there years ago listening to long John Neville on my transistor radio, and it might have all started in Roswell. You know, and I have always thought, even the Internet, Gene, if somebody from some other planet, if some other civilization wanted to find out everything there was to know about us, what would they do? They'd give us the means to start our own Internet so that we could post everything that possibly know about our civilization and everything that goes on there so that they don't even have to come here It travel thousands of millions of light years to get here. All they have to do is tap into our internet and they can type in any subject just like you and I do. Google Okay, it.
1: just a minute here. We're getting too far afield here. You're suggesting <laughs> then that maybe the internet was created not by some scientists back in the 1970s. It was part of a government project, but to benefit the aliens.
4: Well, I mean, it's a far-fetched idea, but very, it, it, very it, 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 far-fetched no, know, is not the beginning why. of it, it my it, friend. No, I don't. I don't see why. Why would it be that far-fetched? It could be like the modern Trojan horse. You know, we don't know if the uh, the aliens seem uh, aliens, and we just use that for a better term. I call them the ultra-terrestrials because we don't know where they're from. Or, or what their main objective is. But we do have many instances and in, in cases where they are able to control the minds of other freeze people so that they can't move, you know, or levitate them into uh, other rooms, take them through walls, do all these miraculous things. So who says that we can't plant some of this information to the minds of scientists and academics?
1: Let's go on with this, because I'm having a problem with this logic.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: I have to do a break.
2: That was a good one, though, G- uh, Gene. I-, I think Tim's being very creative there.
1: Yes, with Gene and Chris, your you're in. Be creative. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast, swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount For all our listeners, 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
15: Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need To protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237.
16: If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low, and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of eight or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add ten drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world, alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So, yes, maybe Tim is being creative about the aliens inventing the Internet to keep tabs on us. But, you know... As a practical matter, wouldn't it be more proper to just increase the number of talk shows? So this way you listen to the talk shows, you get a sense what Earth people are talking about, what they're interested in. Why, well, you, why the internet? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Well,
4: no, but, well, no, but we, are, we are being broadcast over the internet. Is that not true? It's not broadcasting in the sense of it's
1: wireless transmission. Can you receive the Wi-Fi signal 10 light years away?
4: Yeah, but maybe you don't need that. Maybe all you need to do is have a couple of computers down here uh, uh, somewhere uh, w- with some sort of, you know, like a broadcasting ability or something that would send it out. I remember a case now. I just wrote it up in the uh, UFO repeaters. The camera doesn't lie. Uh, there was a fellow who had a talk show host up in uh, New England on radio station W.O.O.N. out of Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Maybe you'll recognize the name, uh, Gene. His name was so- Joe Ferrier. Yes, he's on, he's on the same station that Paul Eno is on, but he was on Woon in Woonsocket Road on 50 years before Paul w- was there. He had invited me up to do his show uh, back about uh, 50 uh, years ago, actually. And he did not broadcast on UFOs. He was not a, uh, you know an Art Bell or a, or a Gene Steinberg. Uh, he had a daily talk show program that I believe was on at noon or on drive time or something like that. He had UFO sightings. In fact, if you check the Internet, you'll find that he had taken a series of UFO uh, photographs on a number of different days, some were cigar-shaped uh, craft. He even had some actually good video, uh, video that he took, but he never, he never really pushed this. Uh, as a kid, maybe slightly older than we are, he did put out a, a little newsletter called the Controversial Phenomena Bulletin. You know, he exchanged it, uh, exchanged it uh, with us. I'm sure I don't have any copies left any, anymore. But basically, he had a, a series of jobs and occupations throughout his life. But he, he was on the radio, and he had a used record shop in, in Woonsocket where he sold old books and old records and stuff along that line. Uh, I anyway, remember the did, publication, by the way. Yes. Okay. It was Joe Ferrier and Armin Leprade. Were the two publishers? They were partners at uh, at one point. It was mimeographed, and I think they actually even colored in some of the pages by hand just to make it a look a little uh, sharp, like they were publishing in color or something. You know. Uh, anyway, he did have a series of UFO uh, sightings, kind of gro- uh, growing up, which I guess got him into interested in the in the subject to some degree. He told me the story, and this has been repeated on on Paulino's uh, behind the paranormal uh, program. He was hitchhiking as a teenager one day. He was on a lonely stretch of road, and this car pulled over, and there was a, a middle-aged uh, couple. He said the woman was very attractive. The man uh, was uh, very handsome, almost like a soap opera star. They asked him where he was going, and he said, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 miles away. And they told him to take a seat in the, uh, the back of the car, that they could take him to uh, his destination. Well, he noticed something very unusual in the back of the car. There were a number of I guess the best way to describe it are square boxes, but they weren't made out of cardboard, and they seemed to be kind of lighting up and 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 flickering. I don't know, there were maybe a dozen uh, of them uh, back there, and he was curious about them, but they told him, "Please don't touch the boxes." And they told him that they were going to they were driving around the country, and they were leaving these boxes off. Uh, at certain destinations, either with people or to implant them in into the in, into the ground or in some wooded area or into some hiding place where they could not be found, and they were supposed to help lift kind of the vibrations of the planet or something to do you know positive for us isn't it possible that if the story is true and they left these boxes behind that this might not be uh, sending messages to their planet plus you know there have been messages there have been a lot of audio signals both verbal and kind of like Morse code that have been picked up on by our ham radio operators all over the world. And even our own astronauts have picked up voice commands over their, uh, their supposedly, you know, closed channels of of somebody broadcasting. So who's to say that uh, information that's uh, gotten here about our civilization and the way we live, isn't being sent back to somewhere else. Doesn't necessarily have to be on another planet. It could be in a mothership. It could be in an underground uh, cave. It could be uh, anywhere, but certainly they could keep tabs on our planet without having to come back and forth, you know, on a regular uh, basis. And that's maybe uh, why we see a a slack in really good UFO sightings in the last couple of years. Maybe they just don't have to return here all the time.
1: Well, they don't even have to send living beings here. They can send robots,
4: cyborgs, something else. Well, apparently they have on some occasions.
1: Well, you know, Uh, the other issue I want to talk to you about is what you mentioned with regard to UFO abductions, where people think they've been levitated or taken through walls, do you really assume here that those experiences
4: are physical experiences exactly as described? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. But okay, let's take the case, for example, of um, uh, I had a friend who lived in uh, Joshua Tree, uh, California. In fact, just uh, last week, I was on the uh, Travel Channel. There's a new show out called uh, Mysteries in the National Parks and i did a whole episode uh, with them uh on the Joshua tree and Death Valley. Uh, there was a gal who lived there who was having a, who told me about she was having a series of UFO sightings. At least one uh instance she was actually taken through the wall of the the house that she was living in and she found herself inside some craft. Now, i have been told these stories where people are are levitated over and over and over again and taken through physical uh, objects, which, of course, would be impossible in the physical uh, body. But again, I always say what happens in the seance room uh, also seems to be repeated in UFO encounters. So I have come to the conclusion that a lot of this is of a psychic uh, metaphysical vein and is not... Physical now are you saying could this person still be asleep in their bed and they're dreaming this, or is this an astral trip i don't know all I can do is I can tell you is that this has been repeated to me over and over again there's one very good case that was um, on the uh, TV show I guess you can uh, find it with Leonard uh, Nimoy uh, I think it's in search of right that was the name of his program and there's a fellow uh, uh, in one of the episodes uh, that I interviewed in fact i'd spent some time investigating the uh, the case I wrote it up for. Oh, I think originally the National Star, which, of course, is the, glo- the glossy celebrity gossip magazine today. It was owned by Rupert Murdoch at that time. I don't know who owns it now, but uh, it was an imitation of the uh, of the uh, Inquirer. I was writing for all the tabloids, and I wrote for the, the Star. Well, we did an article in there, which is a case about this hunter in Wyoming by the name of Carl Higdon. It seems to be one of the most easily verifiable and credible cases. He went out one morning in his pickup truck to do some hunting. He went into a uh, a clearing and got out of the truck with his rifle. He was going to go elk hunting and he could see them off, you know, on the outline of kind of the uh, the forest or the wooded uh, area. He picked up his gun and walked a short distance through the, uh, the grassy knoll there uh, with his truck behind him to go hunting the elk. He raised his rifle and pulled the trigger. And at that point, something very strange happened. He said that there was dead silence the bullet came out in slow motion, and instead of penetrating the animal, it seemed to have actually hit some force field. Later on, the sheriff and the sheriff's deputy came out there, and they picked up the, uh, the bullet casing. It was twisted inside out. We had the photograph of that, and we put it in the uh, magazine. It is as if the bullet had hit some concrete wall and had twisted itself.
1: We have Tim Beckley with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast.
6: Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are
1: GCN.
17: It's absolutely heartbreaking. All over America, people are suffering from issues related to angina pain, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, irregular heartbeat, clogged arteries, and high cholesterol. Can you live your life free from sickness, pain, and fear and experience your body healing itself? Look to Heart and Body Extract, an all natural supplement that aids ailing bodies. It has an exclusive formula of wild crafted and organic herbs. End the pain without all the side effects of prescription drugs. People 20 years younger will envy your vitality. Want a happier, healthier you? Then go to heartandbody.com or call toll-free 866-295-5305 for free information. Heart and Body Extract offers a lifetime guarantee with no price increase in over 14 years. What are you waiting for? Call Heart and Body now at 866-295-5305 for your free information. Go to heartandbody.com, 866-295-5305. Distributor inquiries welcome.
9: Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP, Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news news is there's a cure id stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in ep protection layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of ep go to idstronghold.com now and get the cure idstronghold.com warning id stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security comfort in crowds and euphoria if you experience these emotions immediately inform your friends and family about idstronghold.com so they can feel better too
8: The IRS is a private corporation, not a government agency. Income tax is collected by voluntary compliance. To learn to unvolunteer or discontinue volunteering into the IRS, visit escapeharassment.com and immediately implement Strategy 1. The process must be repeated each and every time. Paper, letter, envelope, presentment, etc. Always and forever. Failure equates to acceptance, subsequent resultant contract, and you pay, or go to jail by your own consent and agreement contract. Avoid recontracting. Visit escapeharassment.com and implement Strategy 1 immediately. Bar lawyers and accountants won't help you. Why wait? Get Strategy 1 and immediately implement it to divorce the IRS today and forever that's escapeharassment.com strategy one to be free from the irs escapeharassment.com hello
19: this is john burroughs one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham ufo incident you're listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
1: So as we end that segment, Tim is talking about this particular case. He wanted us to consider further. Tim Beckley, go ahead.
4: Okay. So uh, Carl Higden uh, uh, tries to shoot at the elk. Uh, the bullet uh, seems to hit some force field. It twists itself inside out, and he sees off in the distance a cube-shaped object, maybe eight feet by eight feet, ten feet by ten feet, but relatively small, standing on the uh, outskirts or nearby the object is a humanoid being of some sort. There's a, a drawing that he did that's in the uh, magazines. Uh, the thing that was very peculiar about the uh, being, it was kind of short in stature if I remember correctly, and he had hair like straw, almost like a punk rocker would have, but this was before the days of, of punk rock. The next thing Carl Higdon finds, he is inside this cube, but there is a difference between the object that he saw from the outside and from being inside, because the object has grown from, let's say, eight feet by eight feet to huge inside. In fact, several of the elk uh, he had been hunting, or we assume it's the same elk that he would be, uh, would have been hunting, are inside the cube, which has grown in size, inside cages. Uh, eventually, the uh, the object takes off, and he finds himself in some other place, some other world. He's taken up an escalator or an elevator of some sort. Uh, He's put on a device which seems to scan his body. He's able to look out of this thing that he kind of described as kind of like the space needle in Seattle. He sees people on uh, motorized uh, stairs, like down on the sidewalk, moving along. Some of them are these alien uh, beings, and some of them look like they're humans. Anyway, he eventually gets back. Uh, They take him back into the craft. Uh, They take him back to the approximate spot where he was teleported inside their vehicle, except that he now finds himself in a wooded area that is very swampy and the truck has moved and he cannot get it out because it is stuck in the muck and the mire. Well, he manages to call the, the sheriff of the police department on his walkie talkie or his radio in his car. They come and they have to get several tow trucks to put down logs to get his vehicle out of the spot where it had apparently been moved to. In fact, I believe when he said he was coming down, they showed him that they were going to pick up the, uh, the truck and move it. Why they would want to do that, I don't know. Uh, he should send them his, uh, his towing bill, I would assume. But maybe this was evidence that something had happened. Anyway, they took him to the, the uh, hospital f- to examine him. He was kind of hysterical. His face was all uh, uh, red as if he had been out in the, the sun all day or, or, or something like that. And th- they took x-rays of him, and they found that a, um, a scar mark like uh, uh, on his uh, lung had disappeared. And there were other medical things, too, that had uh, been... Uh, eradicated after this uh, contact and being uh, taken to wherever he wa- was was uh, taken. So, yes, some of these experiences are legitimate. I don't know how any uh, how many, I can't tell you how many people who claim to have abduction experiences actually have them, but there is something afoot here. Now, I don't know as if they're being taken to other worlds, that seems a little far-fetched. Uh in the old days they were taken to Magonia or to Fairy Kingdom, and, and some of those uh, reports are quite similar. We have a, a book out on, on UFOs and time travel in the Fairy Kingdom, and, and we report a lot of these incidences that happened uh, several hundred years ago, and there is a remarked uh, similarity between abduction experiences. So, yes, something str- strange is happening in the neighborhood, but, again, you can't really put your finger on it. You, know, you can investigate these things, and what do you really have to go on is the honesty and sincerity of the person who is telling you the story. So this gets back to Peter Robbins, because when Peter Robbins uh, was a teenager, he was with his sister, the late punk rock singer, Helen Wheels, and they were outside in Long Island, and they saw this uh, cigar-shaped craft, I believe it was a cigar-shaped craft, and they, they watched it for several minutes, and Helen apparently had an abduction experience where she was taken Inside the vehicle. In fact, you can find that story in uh, the book that we just published. Shirley McLean meets the Palladians. Do I believe Peter uh, Robbins? Absolutely. Helen Robbins told me the the uh, story, which we uh, we have in the book. Do I believe her? Yes, I believe her. In fact, Jean, she was uh, uh, of course a Jewish, and she has a tattoo of an alien. She's deceased now, of course, but she has a tattoo. Uh, and, you know, they had a cremator and they couldn't put her in a, a Jewish cemetery. And so, I mean, she really believes in this. There's no there's no doubt. Of, there's no doubt about it. It changed her 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 life. And and so, yes, something is is going on, but you can't put your your finger on it and you can't say that all these experiences are uh, are real because why in God's name would, would uh, aliens want to take us for continuous uh, alien probes and, and why would they need to examine hundreds of thousands of people. It doesn't make sense in any context, whether it's a, in, in an earthly explanation or an extraterrestrial one. It, something is missing from the equation, and I don't know what it is.
2: What is your view, Chris? Well, you know, again, I, 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 I tend to, to agree and come down you know, very close to uh, to Tim on, in terms of my thinking. You know, I, I've mentioned this on the show a couple of times, but uh, a very interesting story was told to me by Hoyt Velarde, who was uh, for many years in in charge of uh, the Department of Public Safety at the Hickory Apache Reservation around Dulce there. And he said to his grandfather uh, made a very interesting comment when asked about, uh, you know, the UFO uh sightings that people around there had seen and, and he asked him about the abduction phenomenon and his grandfather said it, that everybody's is, is is kind of missing the point. The, the people aren't taken out of their bedrooms to the ship, the ship forms around them, which I always thought was a very interesting sort of twist and uh, uh, interesting interpretation. So I, I think it's, as Tim, I think very insightfully points out, I think it's a lot more complicated than your standard cut and dried, I think, scenario that that most people have, attribute to the abduction phenomenon. I think it's it's uh, it's much more complicated. Uh, there's a lot more of a psychological element, I think, than, than most people, I think, give credit to that particular angle. I, I, I really do. I, I think that there's uh, certain people maybe more prone, certain p- personality types per- perhaps. There's got to be some underlying constant, but I, I think it's so varied, it's very difficult to pull that, that signal out, out from the well, noise. Well,
4: you know, Chris, on the other hand, an astral trip or a dream does not explain how a bullet would be twisted inside out, how a truck could be teleported into a, a marshy area where two tow trucks would have to, uh, you know, like... No, and a,
2: that's or, a very well-documented case, too. It, uh, is, it is,
4: Yeah, there there are others, but I, I would say we're limited to maybe 12 or 15 that are really, really good, solid cases along that line. Other people, you know, can tell you their of their experiences. And again, some of them are deluded. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, I, I've heard people just come up to me and tell me their story. And, and, you know, I can't prove it. I can't disprove it. All I can do is nod and say, yes, other people claim that they've had the same things uh, happen to them. But now, when you're abducted or you have uh, somebody, let's say, whispering in your ear, for for lack of a better term, telling you to go out and you go out at night and you take your camera with you and you point it at the sky and all these weird objects start to form, either that you see, you know, while you're taking the pictures or later when you develop the film, there's got to be some external, you know, power or or force or intelligence behind this. Now, my thinking after all these years is that this intelligence is not an intelligence in the way that we Think of, uh, you know, like a a person sitting at a a ship uh, panel, uh, you know, a dashboard uh, sending us down or beaming us uh, messages into our head. I think this intelligent is something that we cannot even comprehend of because it is not on a physical level like we think of it. It is a random intelligence that wants to be known at certain times. And I don't even think if they want to be known, they care whether it's a hoax or not. You know, again, the UFO field seems to, like, kind of propel itself. And, and people say, you know, oh, if we didn't have the contactees involved in this or we didn't have this aspect of it, uh, the the subject would be more legitimate. Well, no, it wouldn't necessarily. And I'm not sure if it would be of that much interest to people. Let's
1: do our break, Tim. One more segment with Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, With Gene and Chris, you're in The Pericast.
6: The nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network,
0: GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
8: The IRS is a private corporation, not a government agency. Income tax is collected by voluntary compliance. To learn to unvolunteer or discontinue volunteering into the IRS, visit escapeharassment.com and immediately implement strategy one. The process must be repeated each and every time. Paper, letter, envelope, presentment, etc. Always and forever. Failure equates to acceptance, subsequent resultant contract, and you pay or go to jail by your own consent and agreement contract. Avoid recontracting. Visit escapeharassment.com and implement strategy one immediately. Bar lawyers and accountants won't help you. Why wait? Get strategy one and immediately implement it to divorce the IRS today and forever. That's escapeharassment.com strategy one to be free from the IRS. escapeharassment.com.
18: We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution.
9: Are you suffering from E.P.? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure id stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in ep protection layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of ep go to idstronghold.com now and get the cure idstronghold.com warning id stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security comfort in crowds and euphoria if you experience these emotions immediately inform your friends and family about idstronghold.com so they can feel better too
5: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
1: Tim so, Beckley you know, joins us for one more segment with Gene and Chris in the Paracast. Tim, let's have you continue for a moment, and then we want to get to one or more questions before we end the segment.
4: Well, you know, to a, to a large degree, Gene, and I think you have to agree with this, if UFOs were not a mystery, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this after... 50-something years in going to the uh, National UFO uh, Convention in, in, in Cleveland this the summer and traveling 15 hours on a train to get there. Because if if the UFO mystery were solved, it would be probably very mundane. Suppose there was an occasional spaceship uh, coming here. People would get, unless they were here to like do us in or to kidnap our our women or something, people would just kind of shrug their shoulders and and see how it would affect the stock market or something. You know, I mean, what's the hoopla about? Unless there's some real big social impact on us here. Uh, You know, I mean, this has been happening since the beginning of time. And will be happening long after we are just uh, dust in the wind.
2: Well, that's, that's a point well taken. You know, I think it has to be uh, compelling in order for people to really uh, pay attention and notice it. So, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with that myself. Um, I do have a question here from one of our posters, Wade Ridsdale, who's one of our um, uh-huh. very active members at forum.theparacast.com, where you can ask questions of our guests. And uh, he says, I've heard uh, Tim speak on synchronicities a number of times. Synchronicities are also a favorite Mm -hmm. subject of mine. And I've tried to create my own filters so as to discern between something seemingly synchronistic, uh, between that and and a simple coincidence, or even an accident. And he would like to know what uh, your filters might
4: be. Well, you know, I have a whole list of synchronicities. They now take up about uh, two and a half pages. Some of them are very dramatic, and some of them are not uh, uh, dramatic at all. They are only dramatic to me. Now, the first synchronicity that I had, and probably the most striking one, and I've told this, I think, even on the Paracast here, but to make it short, uh, we mentioned the name Dale Reddick before. Uh, Back in the uh, late 1960s, he invited me to speak for his ufo group in san francisco i had never been to san francisco before he was paying my way and putting me up so of course i accepted the uh, uh the uh, uh the trip and and gave a lecture and i think there were three or four hundred people there in an auditorium i remember they had a little balcony and all and and he had some very nice friends and he was married and uh we we hung out a little bit and uh, the next day on sunday it was time to fly back but we had some time to kill so we decided to have brunch it was a sunday afternoon And so we picked a place at random. Now, mind you, I had never been in San Francisco before. And the place that we picked to have brunch, nobody had ever been in. We took a seat and we started chatting. And I happened to mention to Dale and the other people that were there, it was too bad that I hadn't thought in advance to call some of the people that I had known that used to live in New York and had moved to San Francisco. In particular, I mentioned the name of Alan Vaughn, who had lectured and given workshops for us when I was running the New York School of Occult Arts and Sciences. Uh, He had moved to San Francisco to edit a a glossy magazine called Psychic, which was sold on newsstands at that time. That was kind of during the height of uh, uh, magazine sales on newsstands. Of course, it dwindled after the years, and nothing is left uh, anymore except for fate on occasion. Anyway, five minutes later, the door to the restaurant we are in opens up. A gentleman walks in with a dog on a leash, approaches us, and I look at him, and I said to myself and to my friends, is that Alan Vaughn? It can't possibly be. Okay, so I I motioned the guy over, and I said, aren't you Alan Vaughn? And he said, yes, aren't you, Tim? And I said, yes, I am. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I was just out walking my dog, and I wanted to come in and have a beer. He's a pretty good beer drinker. And I just picked this place at random. So he sat down, and we had a good chuckle about this. I mean, how many people live in the San Francisco area? What, two million or something like that, right? Uh, What's your chances of running into somebody you haven't seen in five years in a place you've never been in before? So we sat down, we had a little chat, we laughed about this, and I said, Alan... What are you doing these days? And he said, well, you know, I'm working on a book on synchronicities and coincidences, and I guess I'll have to put this in the book. So sure enough, if you can find that dusty old paperback that sold for 50 or 75 cents. I think it's case number 17 in there. But I used to go down to Miami, continuing on with this. My friend Harry Levelson, who worked for Omni Magazine, had moved down there because he didn't want to be bothered anymore living in New York. And he moved down there and had no telephone. Well, you know, every time I was in Miami, I would walk over... Uh, to one particular block, and Harry lived about four blocks away, and I would meet him there. He didn't know that I was coming, uh, you know, and I would only go down there once a year. It wasn't like a weekly event or something there, and he would he would be there. That's just like meeting people that you haven't seen in a long time. But this even goes much further than that. About a year ago, it was Labor Day, and I was standing at the, uh, the bus stop with my friend Carol, who has been my assistant for, oh, 20-something years now. We had just become senior citizens, and the bus rate is like half of what the normal price of two twenty-five would be, or two dollars, or whatever it is. So, I, I had uh, prepared in advance a little cup that I carried in my pocket that had all kinds of change in it. So, I went in to take out a buck and a quarter in quarters, and I gave it to Carol to put it into the uh, the place where you feed the coins when you get on the bus, you know. And she looked at it and she said, "Oh." you better not put this one in there. It won't go through the turnstile because it's a a Canadian quarter and the bus driver will get mad. You know how New York bus drivers are and kick you off the bus and maybe even call the police. So we were sitting on the bench at the bus stop, right, the little bench there. And I said, instead of throwing the coin away, let me take the quarter and put it on the bench. Maybe somebody from Toronto will come along and see it and pick it up and be able to use it back in Canada. Okay, so we get on the bus. We go across town. Uh, for maybe six or seven blocks, we get off the bus to go to the uh to the seaport. There on the sidewalk, in the exact same spot where the bench would have been if there was a bench at this sidewalk, was a coin. I picked it up and it was a U.S. quarter. How could I have possibly left a Canadian quarter at one bus stop and found an American uh a quarter at the other? That's beyond chance. What is the possibility or the probability of that happening? And I figured uh, with the rate of exchange, I made about a, a penny and a half on the deal. Well, it
1: was certainly but, worth the effort then.
4: Yes. But, you know, th- this goes on and on and on. Like I say, I have over two pages of, uh, of incidences like this. Some very peculiar. I was on the Long John Nebble show one night. And I get a call the next day from a gal who works for New York Magazine. She did the back page. It it was called Best Bets. It was like a list of 10 things that you could do in New York. She says, I want to do a listing of the 10 best UFO sightings in the New York, Long Island, the the area. So I, I talked to her for about maybe 15 minutes on the phone. I told her, let me send you some more materials so that you get my address into the magazine article and all. I said, where do you live? I'll send it to you. She gave me the address. I said, well, I'm two uh, apartments below you. turned out she lived on the top floor. It, it goes on because there's a, after she's deceased, there's another story that goes uh, with that about her meeting the, uh, uh, the Dalai Lama and me running into somebody 20 years later who knew her and was on that trip. It, it, it it's, it's part of the pattern. I do believe that they are trying to communicate with us, but they cannot speak to us verbally in the normal sense. So they are doing it through symbols and patterns. That's me. Maybe I'm wrong. You could say that I'm crazy. But anyway, uh, get uh, my uh, newsletter. Uh, it's free, conspiracyjournal.com. Send me an email, mruf08 at hotmail.com, and we'll send you all kinds of stuff. You agree with it, you don't agree with it. Have a good day.
1: As you see, we don't have to ask Tim to tell us how to contact him because he has it already rehearsed. You can find us on Twitter if you look for The Paracast. Look for The Paracast on Twitter. Also on Facebook, there are two Paracast fan clubs. One's a group, one's a club. You can't put them together because if you do, you lose one. This is one of the oddities of Facebook. We also have a second radio show. It's called After the Paracast, which features special guests, color commentary, politically incorrect commentary. And it's available if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus. So we're giving you after the PowerCast on the PowerCast Plus and the ad-free version of this show, higher-resolution copies so you can hear Tim Beckley sound even better than ever. How about that? Right from his tablet computer. And you can get all that if you check out plus.theparacast.com. That's P-L-U-S dot the If you subscribe for one year or five years, you get a free copy of the ebook version of Stalking the Tricksters and Chris O'Brien, That changed the paradigm in discussions about paranormal phenomena. That's available if you subscribe to one year or five years of the Paracast Plus. Once again, go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. And we haven't mentioned this. If you subscribe to our weekly Paracast newsletter, you get another book free from Chris. Yes. Secrets of the Mysterious Valley free if you go to theparacast.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Now, my old friend Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, thank you so much for joining us on The Paracast. My pleasure,
4: Gene and Chris. The
0: Paracast.